Good luck. We are going to do now the portion of Tanya of Shabbos and the portion of Tanya of Sunday. These are the first two parts of letter 15. Letter 15 focuses on the 10 divine attributes that all of creation of the four spiritual worlds and of the soul of the Jew are all in this mirror, in this model of 10 divine attributes. And the basic premise is that there is a correlation between God's attributes and man's soul. That within the attributes, God invested his infinity, and yet within the infinity, there's the ability for it to become finite, meaning every divine attribute is a light, an infinite expression of God's energy in a vessel. A vessel meaning a constricted, so to speak, finite expression of God's energy. And the vessel is coloring, flavoring the light that this light is now expressive of a certain energy of God, of kindness, of wisdom, of compassion, of strength. So the synergy of the light and the vessel of God's infinite and finite energies together form the structure of creation of a world. And we have this on four progressive worlds, each one becoming more constricted in their energies. And then we have this in our soul. That our soul is also made up of these 10 attributes, obviously in a, as we will explain today, tremendously minimized form, but there is a relationship between the two. So my traits derive from God. And when I utilize my traits, when I utilize my ten soul powers in my divine service, I affect their source. I affect the divine attributes in the spiritual world above. So we're going to explain today a bit about them, and we will continue. So, the Rebbe says, when we're looking at ourselves. There's a concept, the verse, from my flesh, I will see God. So if I look at myself and I analyze the ten attributes in my soul, which again are derived from the ten attributes in the spiritual world above, I can understand, I can extrapolate God's creation, his creative energies, his creative evolution. There's a relationship between God in the creation and my soul and my body. Our sages enumerate many similarities between the soul and God. So therefore, if I understand my soul, I can understand a glimpse of things as they exist above by God. But how can we compare the soul to God? So the Altar of explains, as it says in the Zohar, 
that our soul is really derived, not just from godliness, but from the innermost aspect of God. And that's why my soul shares characteristics with the divine attributes and with God himself. So therefore, if I understand the dynamics of my soul, I can extrapolate to understand the dynamics of godliness and God. The Zayar explains that our soul is different than all of creation because all of creation was spoken into existence. The soul, it says, was blown into existence. What's the difference between speech and blowing? Speech is a more external breath, a more external expression of self, and that's so we can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, as we sometimes do. But breath, to blow, I'm pulling from my inner energies, and that's why after a while I can't anymore. So when it says that the soul was blown, it means the soul is an expression of the inner aspect of God as versus all of the rest of creation that comes from speech. And now the Rebbe is going to show this with a very low soul, so to speak to express how even the lowest soul really in its source comes from the highest levels of God himself. Now this concept of the soul and a lower soul and a higher soul and the traveling of a soul has been discussed extensively in the earlier chapters in the first section of Tanya. Chapter 18 speaks about it at length. Here we're just looking at it from this vantage point. So it's sort of a narrow slice of this concept. So the Rebbe is saying, let's take a soul from the lowest world. There are four spiritual worlds, Atsilos, Kriya and Asiya. Asiya is the lowest of the four spiritual worlds that are mirroring our physical world. Within Asiya, we can have souls of higher or lower capacities. We're going to go for the lowest. So we're going to call that Nefesh. The soul has five levels. Yechid, the Chai, and Neshama, Ruach, Nefesh. So we're talking about the lowest soul of the lowest world. Great. Now, where does this lowest soul of lowest world come from? So if we're looking at it as a product of this world of Asiya, the soul is coming from a union of the divine emotions of Asiya, of which there are the masculine emotions, the six emotive traits from kindness, through foundation, through chesed, through yisait, which is called Kabbalistically Zi'ir Anpin, the, the minor face. That's the masculine dimension of God's emotions on any world. And there's, of course, if it's a mating, we need a feminine dimension as well. The feminine dimension is God's sovereignty, the tenth and final trait of Malchus. So again, if that was a little confusing, we have ten divine attributes in every world, three intellectual, and seven that we loosely called emotional. Of the seven emotional, really six are emotional, and the final one, the seventh, is a state of being. Sovereignty isn't an emotion, it's a state of being. So the six emotions are considered the masculine element, and the seventh final trait, sovereignty, is the feminine. Kabbalistically, this is called the mating of the ear antin, the minor face, the six masculine emotions. 
and nukva, nukva means the feminine element, which is malchus, which is sovereignty. And there's a fusion of the emotions and God's sovereignty. And from that fusion of these masculine and feminine elements, this soul emerges in the world of Asiya. Now, where did these emotional energies, the six and the one, where are they coming from? Well, these lower divine attributes, these final seven, really are expressing a union that has to take place first in the higher levels, which is the level of intellect. And the level of intellect, we also have a masculine and a feminine dimension. The masculine dimension is God's chachma, which we loosely translate as wisdom, which it really isn't. And the feminine dimension is God's bina, which means his understanding. That's really where intellectual apprehension takes place. And what I'm calling loosely wisdom is not really wisdom. It's really the source of wisdom, the primordial flash from which comes the understanding in the divine attribute of bina, of understanding, of comprehension. So that's also a masculine and feminine. Chachma, the source of wisdom, and Bina, understanding, comprehension, analysis, synthesis, fuse together the masculine and the feminine intellectual elements from which energy emerges that then gets invested in the emotions. And then again, we have the masculine elements of the six emotions and the feminine element of the final, 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 which all is invested into sovereignty, from which they fuse, from which emerges the soul of the world of Asiya. So we see here that this soul, this lowest soul, a nephesh in this lowest world, really is a synergy of all of the traits. All ten attributes actually are being utilized for this lowest soul to emerge, I think, oh, this soul is all the way at the bottom of the world of Asiya. Actually, every single trait, all of the intellect and all of the emotion were utilized, all of their divine energies were utilized to produce this soul. So the person could say, okay, so this lowest soul in this lowest world actually is a product of all the energies of that world, but it's still the lowest world. So the Veda now explains and the energies of Asiya, this lowest world, have invested in them as their core energy, the energies of the highest world. So the highest spiritual world, called Atsilus, is actually, in essence, investing her light in this lowest world. So therefore, when this soul emerges from the fusions of the intellect, masculine, and feminine elements, then invested in the emotional masculine and feminine elements. And then we have the soul. The soul really, in essence, is coming from the light of the highest world that's us. Because the light of the highest world is the core energy of the slowest world. And really, if you take it a step further, what is the light core energy of the highest world? God himself. The infinity of God is the core energy of the world of Atsilos. And the core energy of Atsilos is in turn invested in each of the lower worlds, including this lowest one, Asiya. So ultimately, this soul, lowest soul of lowest world, has all the energies of Asiya, within which is the core energies of Atsilos, within which is the energy of God himself. So therefore, what's in this lowest soul? The infinite energy of God himself, higher than any world at all. So therefore, when we're looking at this soul, we're understanding now, 
why, if I analyze the soul, I can understand something of God himself. All of the structure of the divine attributes are in the soul. The energy of God himself is in this soul. So if I look at the soul, and I study the soul, I can extrapolate and have an understanding of God. That was the tiny portion of Shabbos. Continuing tomorrow's tiny portion, the gist of tomorrow's tiny portion is to explain, but don't fool yourself. The energy of God and all the divine attributes in your soul is really nothing like those attributes because it is so, so, so far from them. So it's sort of like a dance in both directions. On one hand, it's completely come from them. It's a complete perfect mirror of them. And by understanding your soul, you're understanding God himself. And on the other hand, don't get fooled. There's a tremendous difference between your soul's attributes and God's. And to prove this, the entire section of tomorrow analyzes the divine attribute, one of the divine attributes of our forefather Abraham, of Avraham. Why? Why are we focusing on Avraham here, on Abraham? Because we know that it says that Abraham was the human embodiment of God's kindness. I mean, we all know stories of the enormous kindness of Abraham, our forefather, that we descend from and that we all have, therefore, kindness embedded in our soul. His kindness is legendary. His kindness, we are told, is actually God's kindness. He was a human embodiment of God's kindness. And yet, the kindness in his soul was nothing compared to God's kindness. How do we see this? Because that's what Abraham said about himself. He said about himself, I am dust and ashes. Now, there are many, many levels of understanding this. We're using one here in the context of our topic. What did he mean by saying, I'm dust and ashes? He meant that his degree of love and kindness is just like ash compared to the true love and kindness of God in the world of Atsilas. Now, again, his love and kindness was enormous. He, all of our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are called God's chariots. They're called God's chariots because just as a chariot has absolutely no will, it just does what the driver wants. That was their relationship with God, meaning we could strive to be God's servant, God's slave. That's pretty high. That's pretty nullified. But a slave takes his will and nullifies his will to his master. I want to do this, but you want me to do this? That's what I'm doing. That's a tremendously nullified slave. But they were higher than that. They were chariots. A chariot doesn't have a will. It has no sense of where it wants to go. It goes where the master leads it. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were God's chariots. They were so nullified to God, they didn't nullify their will to God. They didn't have a will. They totally removed a will that what was their will? Only, exclusively, God's will. So if we know that Abraham was the embodiment of God's kindness, that Abraham had no will of his own. He's a chariot. He's just doing what the driver wants. So we would think, okay, so it's pretty great, but obviously I understand that God's kindness is infinite, and by Abraham, his soul, with all of her infinite powers, is coming into a human body. So it's like sort of the same, but, you know, it became finite-ish because of a body. So in my head, that would be how I understand the relationship between Abraham's kindness and God's kindness. God's is the same color and flavor and intensity, but infinite. 
And Abraham's is like a tiny microscopic, finite version of that same story. But that's not true. The difference between Abraham's kindness and God's kindness is not only the difference between infinite kindness and that infinite kindness now put in a finite box, which probably would be how I would understand it. Meaning, it's not just quantitatively became finite, but Abraham's kindness is qualitatively a completely different and lower dimension than God's kindness, which was expressed by Abraham's phrase, I am dust and ashes. What did he mean by that? What he was saying, he was setting up a, a, a metaphor, an allergy here, that if you could look at a tree, and the tree is huge and beautiful and tall and broad and strong and whatever, this enormously beautiful tree. The tree is made up of four elements. Everything in the physical and spiritual world is made up of four elements, fire, earth, wind, and water. So you have this beautiful tree, which is a composite, as everything is, of fire, earth, wind, and water. Of course, in a tree, the key element of those four is earth. There's a certain element of fire, certain element of wind, probably more water, but the key element, the main composition, obviously, is earth, and the height and breadth and dimensions of that tree is obviously coming from primarily the earth. Now there's a fire, a forest fire, just of this tree, and the whole tree is burnt down. And all that's left is a pile of ash. Now, what is that ash comprised of? Well, it's not the fire or the wind or the water. The fire of this tree consumed the fire, the wind, and the water. They're no longer here in our tree. All that's left is ash. The ash is the earth element of the tree. So we could say, well, at least you got the main part of it, because really the fire, water, and wind that were part of the tree, I mean, they couldn't have played a very major role. The main dominant force in the tree was earth, which is true. But if you look at this pile of ash, and you think of that gorgeous, big, majestic tree, you don't even see a relationship. Like on one hand, this is the key element of the tree, which is what remained. But on the other hand, the pile of ash and the tree, I don't see a connection at all. That is what Abraham is saying it's his relationship to God's kindness. On one hand, the essence, quality of God's kindness is possessed by Abraham. Like the ash is possessing the essence, quality of the tree, earth. But ash and a tree? Where's the breath? Where's the height? Where's the majesty? Where's the... It's all gone. This is just burnt ash. That's the relationship. It's the key energy. It's the most primary quality in, the, in God's kindness. But it's God's kindness, not as that majestic tree, but as this pile of ash. That's what he meant by saying, I am dust and ashes. So if we understand this, we can say, wow, that's quite a big difference between my soul's qualities and God's. And then we'll just put another little thing to understand. This is a metaphor. We're using something human because we're humans and we can relate to, to physical things. So the ash and 
the tree have a very, very, very remote, but there is a relationship. It's much more incomparable, God's kindness as invested in Abraham and God's kindness above. It's far more remote than the relationship of the ash to the tree. But we're humans and we use something physical from which we will extrapolate myriads of levels more between what's going on in our soul and how it's truly expressed by God. So we see. Now, again, this is Abraham. This is Abraham, who we're told about him, that he embodied God's kindness. Now let's think of ourselves. So we think of the attribute and soul powers of a regular Jew, not an Abraham, in this world. We understand that there's, like, absolutely no relationship between our soul powers and the divine attributes that our soul powers derive from. But, on the other hand, since our soul powers do derive from these attributes and are illuminated by the attributes, I still can have some degree of understanding godliness and God from the dimension of the soul that animates my body. And this is what the verse meant by saying, from my flesh I will see God. Now that I understand how vast is the difference, now I want to try to understand my soul's dynamics and extrapolating tremendously from this have a glimmer and understanding of God to be continued tomorrow.